1: Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business.
2: Now let's buzz.
3: Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hello, Andrew. Over the years, Wendy Dio has been involved in many aspects of the music business, including management, stage set design, concert video production and also served as executive producer on numerous gold and platinum albums. In 2010, she co-founded the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, which has raised millions for research, education, and early detection screenings. Today, we're going to delve into the recent deluxe edition releases of the final four Dio albums and the fantastic new documentary, Dio Dreamers Never Die. I watched it the other night, and it is fantastic. So congrats, but welcome to the Music Buzz. Wendy. Hi.
4: How are you? Thank you for having me.
3: We're glad you're here. I watched the uh, beginning.
0: I didn't get to see the whole documentary yet, but as soon as we're finished here, I'm going to finish it. It is incredible, uh, as Andy says. I've got to tell you that the first time I heard Ronnie James was 1975. I was 15 years old. Big, deep purple fan especially Richie Blackmore. And I knew he'd quit the band and I bought that first rainbow record and put that needle down. And it was odd because somebody there's a part in, at the beginning of the documentary where a guy's out in the car and he, and he hears man on the silver mountain for the first time. Well, I remember hearing it and going first off, what a great guitar riff. And then, Whoa, who's that guy (laughs) singing? (laughs) I was blown away. And, uh, immediately there's a, there's a guy with a classic rock instrument in his throat that I'd never heard before. Just badass. And I'll never forget that. It was like, well, who, what, who was this guy?
2: I even liked his voice with the red caps. I thought, Holy. Oh, when when <laughs> I heard
0: that stuff this morning, I got chills when he, when he did the song that Cher did later ah, Yeah, yeah. You know, in about 64 or whatever. It was like, wow, how fantastic.
2: Right up there in the major crooners. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the, and the, the idea that he was a, an awesome trumpet guy, and that breathing—that's how he—he he never really took voice lessons, but he got—he got, he got the—you know—he got a lot of those chops from playing trumpet. Just what—what what an amazing story!
3: I think we start there before we were on the call. I Was talking to Hugh earlier, Wendy, and it was interesting. I watched it Friday night. I uh, watched the whole documentary. It was awesome. And as I was watching it, there were words that were coming to mind, and those words I wrote them down. They were kindness, uh, work ethic, giving back, mentoring principles, all of the above. And, you know, it it was really, what a story, man. Just tell us about the, and I'm I'm super picky about documentaries, okay? I love them, but when they're bad, they're bad. This was really good. Tell us about, I want to hear your story about the process of making this documentary. I had to be daunting, but bravo to you. Please tell us the story about putting it together.
4: Well, for many years, people have asked me to do a documentary. Time was never right. People were never right. And BMG came to me and they uh, financed it. And they said, and I figured, well, the time was right. So I interviewed a lot of different directors, none of them really right. And I met Don Argar and Demian Fenton. They were big, huge fans of Dio. They knew what they were doing. They had already done um, a, a, an Alec Baldwin thing and uh, Imagine Dragons. And um, yeah. I, I really liked them. And so yeah. we started the progress. Um, But I'm very protective of Ronnie's stuff. So I really didn't give him a lot. Um, We were just going along knowing each other. And then um, the COVID hit. So the the documentary should have been done in about two years. It took us three years because we were a year downtime. But because of that downtime, I got more to know them. And then I released more and more stuff to them. And in the end, I just said, take what you want. It's all here. And and we were making it. I I wanted Ronnie's story. And they knew what I wanted. I didn't want, you know, the regular documentary, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, because that wasn't Ronnie. I needed people to know the real Ronnie. What he was about, the good times, the bad times, the in-between times, the real Ronnie. And also to find some gems that even the hardest fan didn't know about you and I think we found a few gems there. But they did an excellent, excellent job. I was really happy with it. I'm really, really happy with
2: it. Yeah, uh, you should be. I mean, what, just looking at just the relationship between he and his dad, who he highly respected, but I also respect his dad for being so hard on him because that discipline paid off. I mean, the fact that three hours on the trumpet is a lot of practicing. I had to. For practice, a
0: youngster, no, no question.
2: Yeah, I had to practice piano. Piano for forty-five minutes to an hour a day, and kind of hated my mom at the time. I love her now for having insisted, <laughs> but, but I, I think it's fast. And you had some phenomenal archival imagery, which I think really drove the documentary in a beautiful way. You know,
3: yeah. Was all that was all that stuff stuff that you
4: had like personally, Wendy, or uh, stuff I had? A lot of it came from Ronnie's mom. She had uh, she had gathered things from day one with Ronnie. So a lot of the stuff we got from well she passed away but we had uh, gone to when Ronnie's mom passed away Ronnie and I went to the house and and uh, took a bunch of stuff so a lot of the archive stuff we got from there uh, Ronnie's cousin uh, uh, David Rock Feinstein who was in the Rods and also an elf he helped with a lot of stuff too so. Between us all, we 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 got a lot of. That's how we got the stuff. Um, we went through so many, so many boxes and stuff, so many Super Eights, so many things that you know had been around for a while. A lot of it wasn't the stuff we used. It took time to go through, but we did go through all this stuff and found found what we found for the documentary.
3: That's true. You bring up an interesting point, which I guess is sort of kind of obvious, but. All of the changes over, you know, such a vast and long career. But when you're talking about stuff that's on film or on VHS or on, you know, uh, tape or whatever it's on, I'm sure. 45s from 1961. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That was, but you're right. I mean, when I think about some of the documentaries that I love and go back to and rewatch over the years, whether it was like that great one the Beatles made or the Stones, you always see those, you know, those gems of photos of like, you know, Mick and Keith when they were little by the train station or whatever. And this documentary has all of those and more because there's Mm. just so many, like every, every personal story has something to accompany it or, you know, a bunch of photos and a bunch of uh, a bunch of archival videos. So anybody out there, man, please watch this. It's just, it's also like, even if you're not a fan of heavy metal music, it's like a great study and how to make a documentary the right way. So, Kudos to you
2: for that. to your comment, Andy. That any good story has all that archival. That's sadly not the case. Too often, the story exists, but there's nothing to support it. So you have a, a like a goldmine of 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 imagery. It's. I mean, I was completely engaged watching it.
0: I um, loved yeah. it. I loved his grandmother. Yes. <laughs> How about that? She came uh, up with a, with a heavy metal thing, you know? You know? Oh, oh, yeah. Scary. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you look at that picture, you go, man, I'd be scared of her yeah. now.
3: Yeah, well, my, my thought was she doesn't have to do that, you know? Just all she's got to do is look at you. <laughs> Message sent.
2: I love the fact that other people have tried to take credit for it when, in fact, you can thank his grandmother, for, for warding off the evil spirits in her in, in her wonderfully stern Catholic way.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I got some good news today, or actually, yesterday, actually, that the documentary is number one on the uh, music videos and number one also in the UK and in the US. So well, I was really, really happy with that news.
3: Congratulations. Well-deserved. Can't do much better than that. You know, it's not number two. It's not number three. It's number one. Damn it. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about it. uh, The guests that you have. I mean, look, any good story has a lot of different people behind it. And I thought you did a great job of pulling all these, you know, these great guests together. Um, whether it be Jack Black or, you know, Sebastian Bach or guys you know, that he played with. Yeah, Rudy. Rudy. We had Rudy uh, Sarzo on the podcast a while ago. You can't find a nicer guy than that. But a lot a lot of, you know, Craig Goldie. Really great list of people that you that you lined up. I'm not surprised because obviously so many people are, are fans and and were clearly influenced by by him. But, um, you know, that was great, too. I mean, having having all of that, uh, having all those guys part of it. It also just goes to show you, you know, kind of like, you know, why was he in Rainbow? Why was he in Sabbath? Why was it's because he was an awesome guy. I mean, at the end of the day, in <laughs> an amazing singer. But you kind of get the sense that even though he was an amazing singer, it's almost really because he was just such a great person. And uh-huh, that's that's uh-huh. the common thread that seems to yeah. weave through this, too, is that he's somebody that just had a good heart.
0: And he had something to say once he got to rainbow status. He wasn't going to change that. And when they, I love that part when they wanted to do that pop song, which I've always thought sucked anyway, uh, that they ended up doing after he bailed from rainbow, Mm -hmm. that he just kept on saying the things he wanted to say.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. He never, he always kept to what he wanted, the music he wanted to make, and the way he wanted to do it. And he was not afraid to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And when he left Rainbow, we had no idea what we were going to do. We didn't even have any money, you know. Um, my grandmother passed away and left me a little bit of money. We bought a little station wagon. And I said, I think we'd better go back to California because we were living in Connecticut. And um, so we went back to California. And he was working with a lot of different bands, trying to get something together. Scott Baxter was one of the bands he was working with. He was working with uh, some more of the Elf guys. And then uh, that day that he went into the rainbow and met with Tony Iami, all changed.
2: To that conviction and those principles, I mean, the fact that he had the bravery to say, you know, I don't feel right in in Sabbath anymore. That's a big step away from that. That's a shocking. That it, takes balls. Yeah. I will, awesome. say, I will say the rainbow was at the establishment on Sunset was obviously a blessed place for you. That's where you met mm-hmm. your Love of mm-hmm. your life, yeah, and that's where, exactly. good, that's where good things happened. Obviously, and it's also where a lot of, to his credit and to your credit, it's also where a lot of bad things happened. It was, it was the den of iniquity in the in the eighties. <laughs> yes, you
4: know? it was.
0: That's when you were there all the time, Hugh. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've
2: been, I visited David Coverdale once, and um, and that, that that's mm-hmm. a that's a whole other story.
3: Holy shit! Yeah. Separate podcast. Yeah. Now, yeah. Wendy, I know you guys met at the Rainbow, but take us back with your story a little bit, you know, kind of like where you're from, where you grew up, and how you eventually, you know, wound up meeting Ronnie there in the Rainbow.
4: Uh, well, I uh, I worked at Decca Records uh, from when I was an intern there uh, during my school holidays. Uh, I worked for a written agency, which is, was a um, booking agency, and I uh, worked for a couple of attorneys in the music department. Um, I met someone uh, in, Cal- in uh, Zermatt in Switzerland. I was there on vacation, and I came over to visit them in, uh, in California and just stayed there, um, and that's uh, why I was trying to get into the film business and trying to do that, working at the Rainbow to get money, whatever, and uh, I knew Richie and Babsy and those people from uh, England, and when they they had just they had just finished uh, making recording uh, Blackmore's Rainbow, but they had not um, not toured yet. And uh, they came in to the Rainbow, and I saw them, and they invited me to go to a party. They were having a big party up in Hollywood Hills, and so I went up there. And Ronnie uh, started following me around, and I was like, mm, too short for me, and uh, <laughs> just, you know, didn't even think anymore of it at all. And then. Um, we started talking and talking and, um, then, uh, I, I, uh, oh, we, we all ended up, the whole bunch of it ended up going to Denny's for breakfast. It was about five o'clock in the morning then. And then when he said, you want to go for a drive to Malibu? I said, yeah, okay. And we started talking and talking. And I think, you know, I really, he was such an interesting person who'd talk about anything. And, yeah. uh, we started seeing each other for a couple of weeks. Uh, but then he was going on tour, and I figured, well, that was the end of it, you know, that was it. And then uh, he'd been gone for about a week, and he called me and said, Why don't you uh, quit your job and, and come and come on the road with me? And I said, Well, I can't do that, but I could come for a couple of weeks. And I went for the rest of my life.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, that's awesome. That's, great. that's a great thank you for sharing that. It's awesome.
2: <laughs> what is it about all the powerful female managers being British, you know, yourself?
4: Sharon. Sharon. Well, actually, when we started being managers, there was only Sharon and I. There were no other women's managers. That was a big man's world. And that was hard. That was really hard because they didn't take us seriously whatsoever. Oh, it's just their wives. They don't know what they're doing. Um, I think we both proved them very wrong. I think now there's a lot of women managers. I think they make excellent managers. They can multitask, which men find to be difficult. They See something that's maybe some silly little thing that a man would just brush under and think it doesn't matter. But to a musician, it mattered. I've seen bands break up with silly little things. And I think women are more um, in tune with those kind of things. I think they make great managers.
3: Yeah. Well, clearly. Yeah. Hugh, yeah. you, you did a lot of work with uh, Trudy. Yeah. I Well,
2: not a lot. I mean, I worked on, uh, actually, worked with Sharon on Kingdom Come. Um, and then I worked with Trudy on uh, all, all of White Snakes projects um as well as she she took on a band called um well they were the two bands the merge merging of journey and the babies called bad english and so we mm-hmm. worked on
4: i remember that band. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah yeah so yeah that's why i made that's why i make the comment i mean you know i haven't met you but i've heard about all the legendary british female managers so <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. it's funny i didn't even think about that before but it's the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe we just um just go for it <laughs> yeah um, yeah
0: i guess so
2: yeah either that or your or your accent commands respect there you There's, go yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
4: don't yeah. Know about that. <laughs>
3: absolutely so the documentary aside you've also been busy very busy uh working on the uh four studio albums um you know, revamping those if you will that came out th- from 96 to 2004 um for those four records so before you were on and Hugh and I were talking a little bit about, you know, that whole process, um, He's do, he's been working on it for Rush for basically all of their reissues and redoing artwork and all that. And I think what, what people don't understand is the daunting task of doing that. It's not just a matter of going in and grabbing the old tapes and throwing it back no. out with a new no. new wrap on it. Tell us about the process with these four records specifically, but just also just in general, like what goes into reissuing deal records uh, for you and getting it done? How long the process takes?
4: Well, you know, it's like um, those four records, I think, were very overlooked at the time that they came out. And we thought it was maybe time to bring them out um, again. And, of course, we had to look and think about what we, were, what we were going to do. The artwork, obviously, we needed new artwork in there as well, which Mark Sasso, who's done a lot of our album covers, he did a lot of uh, new artwork inside the inner sleeve. So we got that. Um, I thought that these four records, not only were they overlooked, but they also – oh, and they're in beautiful vinyl. We did them in beautiful 180-gram vinyl in different colours. They're really beautiful. did a really nice – I think BMG did a really excellent job on this and so on. Um, Obviously, you know, you have to do all the interviews for that. I'm sure Ronnie's laughing his head off at me for that because I've been doing all these radio tours that start at six o'clock in the morning till nine. I'm sure you know all about those. And um, so that's a lot of hard work going into that. But these four albums, not only are the last four albums uh, that Ronnie did, but if you look at the different musicians on those four albums, you know, you've got three different guitar players. You've got Tracy G, Craig Goldie, and Doug Aldridge. Uh, you've also got Ginny um, Appice on one of the albums, and Simon Wright on the others. You've got Jeff Pilson on there, and uh, uh, and uh, you know, it's 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 like I I like to think about all the different music. Oh, and of course, our, our dear friend Jimmy Bain is in there too. Um, and it, I think that. That's another thing that I really thought about these four albums, that that people could listen to the different guitar players and the different musicians that are on them, which, you know, maybe before we didn't think about that. But this time I did think about that. And I thought this is a good idea to put the four albums out.
0: That's awesome. So are they remixed? Obviously remastering is something that's Okay. They remastered. Done,
4: but... They're not remixed. They're remastered. Okay. Are yeah. there bonus we...
0: tracks included or
4: Yeah, there's a, a there's Electra is on the, a little uh, EP in vinyl in there. Um there's a booklet. There's a lot of little things in there, special things in there. But you know, we're talking about remastering uh and remixing uh Warner Brothers Rhino did last year. Um a re- remix of Holy Diver with Joe Barishi did, and I think he did an excellent, excellent job. And we're talking about doing uh, Last in Live because it'll be 40 years uh, anniversary next year. So we're talking about doing a remix of Last in Live next year.
3: Um, I listened to that uh, the Holy Diver thing last year after it came out. It sounded ridiculous. I mean, just so good. So yeah, just no,
4: I think he did a really powerful. good job. And you know, yeah. that was another thing. You know, because now. Um, I got back the masters from Warner Brothers that have had them forever because there was that 35-year law. And uh, so now I licensed them to them. So I had a lot more control in what's going on with everything. And when they wanted to remix the album, I was like horrified. and was like, no, 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 wait a minute. And they suggested certain people. And I said, no, I'm going to think about who I really want to do it. And I researched and researched. And I liked the work that Joe Barishi did And I think he was, and they told me, "Oh, he's too busy and he's too expensive." And so I said, "Okay, fine." So I just called his, I called his manager, and asked him, and they said, "Oh my God, he'll drop anything to do this. He's a huge deal fan, and uh, whatever your budget is, we're we're in there." And they were amazing, and I think he did a really, really good job.
2: Yeah, I love the story. I love the story behind the Holy Diver, the the pre digital analog days where you actually had to take the priest and go and, and just about drown in the surf to get that. To get <laughs> you
3: know,
4: that was store the idea of the artist, because what happened was Ronnie and I both knew exactly what we wanted for the album cover, but neither one of us could draw even a stick pin. So we had to kind of try to portray through our minds, through his mind, what we wanted. And so, therefore, he, he, he was a bit crazy, Gene. Gene Hunter, that was, and Gene Kirkland, the, the photographer. So they just decided to go down and do this whole thing and bring back the photos. And we were like, yes, exactly what we wanted.
2: <laughs> no, it, was really, it was really well done. But I, I, I love that those were all the, pre, the pre-digital the pre days. You actually had to do the reference photography in real. You know,
4: That's the other thing. Moni hated it when uh, cassettes and DVDs came in because she said, oh, that beautiful artwork. He goes, I always. I always bought an album because not just the music but I wanted to see what the artwork looked like too. So, that's,
2: you know. That's how your documentary opens. It's it's the yeah. wonder. It's the wonder years of of t- peeling off the cellophane and smelling the cardboard. And, yeah,
3: and,
4: exactly. And, exactly.
3: I thought about you watching that part, Hugh. You're probably like in tears of joy watching that, right?
0: <laughs> 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 Waiting to see
3: that his whole life. Right yeah.
2: It, it's establishing some kind of credibility. But at the same time, as you say, it's a bittersweet thing to watch because I'm gratefully, canva- you know, uh, Vinyl's back and that big canvas has been part of my life with some of my clients. But, you yeah, know, it's, it's an era gone. as, And we've all gone through the music business enough to know and it's an overused phrase that I use, but we're all feeding off the carcass of what used to be the music business
4: that's true that's very, very true. I always say that about you know people say what new young bands are coming up. I said, well, it's kind of hard because it's hard to invent the wheel again because you know the innovators really invented the wheel, and what can you what can they do to uh, past what all the classic stuff was done. Right.
2: Well, kids, kids can only get to the about the twenty to thirty second mark before they want to hear another song, too. You know. True.
4: These- true. My daughter, my daughter is like, so she can't watch anything. Like she can't watch a full thing. She has to stop and and do something else for a while because she just mm. doesn't have, it. I, it's crazy.
3: Different world. It's just a different era. I mean, a lot of it is like, I was, uh, my son the other night, we, we had gone to see Pearl Jam in uh, Chicago and I bought the download, you know, to put it on my phone. And I sent him a copy of it. Say, hey, you just download on your phone. And he called me. He's like, I don't know how to put this into my Apple Music. I'm like, it's a damn download. You just drag it in. and And, I, and it occurred to me, I'm like, you know, he hasn't in his life had to buy music, you know, let alone figure out how to take free music and put it into his own catalog. I'm like, it's just a (laughs) different, it's just a different era. It's a different
4: thing. I went to power trip this week, last weekend. I took my daughter there. And she goes, yeah, I want to go and see all those old bands. Old (laughs)
3: bands? Old bands, excuse (laughs) me? (laughs) Come on now. (laughs)
4: Yeah, come on. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's funny. How was it?
4: it was great it was really fun uh we had a great time those old
0: people still rocking huh
4: oh my god <laughs> acdc were amazing and Am- well they all great you know breeze was great um guns and roses uh, iron maiden uh i actually didn't we had to come back on sunday so i didn't get to see metallica at all because uh she had school so um that's we had to come back on sunday but we had a great time and hanging out with so many people there that Eddie Trunk was there, all the people were there, all the record label people were there. It was it was it was a fun, a fun trip.
0: I, I read something about uh Carrie Livgren, who was from the group Kansas, and of course he went out as on as a Christian musician for I don't know, 40 years now. And uh there's a record called Seeds of Change that Ronnie sang on a couple of tracks. Were were they buddies or how did that come about?
4: Record company just uh uh, called us up and said that Carrie wanted to do uh, a couple of tracks with Ronnie and was he interested uh so Ronnie said well send me the tracks let me listen to them and stuff and he said yeah and he thought, um I, I I think they were they were great and actually I'm thinking about putting out later on some kind of a um an album with different songs like like that one of Carrie Li's songs and of- and other things that Ronnie covered that people are not really uh, used to hearing, and I think they might want to hear the rest of all these things. That are...
0: Tell us about some more of those because I, I could, I, I really want to hear those songs.
4: Well, Ronnie did a cover, he did a cover of um, er, of Aerosmith. Um, he did a cover, let's see, he did a cover of uh, Welcome to My Nightmare. <laughs> really,
0: that'd, <laughs> that'd be cool, it,
4: yeah. Uh, Dream On. Uh, which actually, Stephen even said to Ronnie, You did a great job. I think you did a better job than me. He said it once he did. Um, let's see what else. Oh, he did some stuff with Girls School, um, Dog Eat Dog. Uh, let's see who else have we got in there. Um, he did a, I Could Have Been a Dreamer, um, which is his own song, at the Royal Albert Hall with, uh, with Deep Purple. Uh, when yeah, so there was a lot of little things, you know, and of course, Love Is All, which is one of my favorite, which he got his first gold record for. Uh, for the um, for the Anne Laudridge, uh, grasshoppers, that was a, a cartoon okay. that, um, okay. he played the part of Froggy. And David Coverdell was on it too, actually.
0: Yeah, if you could
3: compile all that stuff, that would be incredible. Yeah, it'd be cool. fun.
4: Yeah, with some new stuff that we have found in the vault.
3: Speaking of legacy and, and the great job that you have done and are doing uh, for him, talk to us about the DO Cancer Fund a little bit. I, I've heard, I heard you being interviewed at one point talking about it, and it was really, really cool. And I obviously applaud you for doing, for doing such good work. But tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. In well, program. it
4: came about because when Roy passed away, people were wanting to send money, uh, I mean, big amounts of money uh, for some cause that we wanted, some charity. And I was afraid of because uh, I I've done a lot of volunteer work for different charities and I won't name one of them but um I noticed that you know ninety percent of the money was going into administration costs and ten percent was going where it's supposed to go, and so um I got together with fourteen of Ronnie's friends and, and uh, people we've worked with and stuff and we decided to form the Ronnie Jonesy Stand Up at Shout Cancer Fund where every we're all volunteers, every penny goes to research and education. And we've been working very well with that. Um, we do a lot of seed money, what we call seed money. We work mostly for um, pancreatic cancer and stomach cancers, which are very hard to detect until it's stage four and then it's too late. So um, Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville didn't have any research whatsoever for these cancers. So, we gave them $100,000 to start, and somebody else then gave them $500,000. And because of that, the government gave me $11 million grant. So, we've tried to give like seed money now. We've raised about $3 million so far. We're working with Dr. Wong at UCLA right now, who's de- uh, developing a saliva test for early detection of stomach gastric cancers and pancreatic cancer, which will be great because women are pretty good about going and getting checked up. Men, no, you've got to drag them there. Because they don't like the um, finger up the butt, yeah. And so this is would be a non-invasive. Um, uh, so you could go to your doctor and just have a swab done in your mouth and send yeah. it away and find yeah. out if you had early detection of one of those uh, one of those uh, diseases. And I think wow. that that is really good. And we're very happy to be working with Dr. Wong. Um, as I said, you know, we we try to open up different places so there is more research. Breast cancer has come a long, long way since, but there's so many, many millions that have been spent on it. And so we're trying to open up to spend more and more money on research for stomach cancers, gastric cancers, and pancreatic cancers because they're a killer. And, uh, you know, this disease doesn't care who it takes. It's like, it's so, everyone seems to know someone who's got, died of cancer. It's horrible. Yeah, we
3: all do. We all do. Yep. Golly, man. If you guys get that saliva thing figured out, we don't have to do that prep anymore and you know we'll be doing another podcast just to thank you that's amazing that'd be awesome
4: yeah, yeah and so we also do like two things a year for it we do the celebrity bowling which is coming up on the 16th of november um our past people have been jack black you know Dave bowl uh Reller, you name it those people all bowl for us they're there everybody comes if they're uh, if they're not working they're all are there bowling and eddie trunk has a as a lane with all his celebrities on it, and oh, uh, it's a really cool. fun evening, and we raised a lot of money last year. I think we raised like seventy-two thousand. Nice. So this year we're doing it again, and then uh, we'll do the rock for Ronnie next year on his memorial on nineteenth of um. He died on the sixteenth, but we'll do it on the nineteenth of May. Where we do a big uh, concert in the park. It's a daytime thing where people bring their kids, their dogs, they just sit on the, uh, sit on the grass and watch bands play. So that's another profound thing that we raise money for. Nice. So I'm busy, busy all the time.
3: Yeah, I <laughs> that guess sure sounds like it. Well, Gosh. Look, and yeah, I will say what you're doing from a legacy standpoint for with his music and with his memory and and just all the you know the cause related elements. Really, do applaud you for that. I mean, it's really awesome to see that you you know that you continued that I guess it would be easy not to do it or just to do it a different way but you know you really that's my life
4: life now when Ronnie passed away that was um, what I decided I I wanted because you know after working for so long with Ronnie as his manager's wife you know and doing these things every day it was like I can't just stop so the way to do it is just to keep his memory and his music alive and for me to just continue doing what I was doing before which uh gives me a purpose in life too you know as, as I said
2: it's also a testament to the fact that um you, you clearly you said it in the documentary you fell in love with his brain and I'm sure his I'm sure his heart was very soon thereafter but you know he sounds like the epitome of decency and kindness and what you're doing is apart from from acknowledging the, the the horrendous nature of cancer um you're also you know paying paying testament to his his legacy as a as a kind and decent and giving person
4: no, i try i try mm-hmm. yeah he was he was very special he was a special person he did so much charity work that nobody knows about he did so many things that you know that for animals for people uh autism and, and he just was a very, very, he taught me so much to be a kind human being, you know, and he, he didn't really believe in religion because he was an altar boy, and it was, the Catholic thing was rammed up his throat and he was not, you know, into that. But he believed in an ultimate being and most of it, he said, it comes from your heart and the goodness that you do will be passed on when you pass away.
3: Well, congratulations on all these awesome new projects and um, obviously... You know hitting number one with the documentary. Wow, that's awesome! That was uh,
4: that was a surprise. It was such an amazing surprise. I was like blown away. I was like, Whoa,
2: you woke up to that this morning. Is that right?
4: Yesterday morning, yesterday morning.
2: Yeah, what, what a good day to do a podcast!
4: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this has been fun for a podcast. Some of the interviews I do. Yeah, very very, um, the same thing, same old stuff, whatever. This is really interesting, very interesting.
0: Love having you. This, Yeah, this is great. I mean, I found out so much. Yeah, and I just want to say, everybody's got to see this documentary. It's really, really, really engaging. As soon as we cut off here. I'm gonna go finish it, and I don't, you know, I don't like anything. I'm yeah. really hard to please, and this is really, really good. What a wonderful musician and guy that he was. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. They broke them all fast, the mold when he passed away. They definitely did. He was a very special person. Very special person.
0: Well,
2: it takes one to know one. That's right.
4: <laughs> For sure. If only I could live up to his standards, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's clear that you are. Yeah, you're do, you're doing it. Maybe, maybe you don't realize it, but you're doing it. And congratulations on it for sure. Continued success to you.
4: Thank you for having me. Without your support, couldn't
3: do things like this. So thank you so much. You Bye-bye. bet. Thank you.
1: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football